libertarians had their moment? Perhaps a better question is, should libertarians have a moment? And by that, I don't mean to dismiss libertarianism, because I'm certainly sympathetic to their individualistic principles, but the idea that libertarians need to coalesce and resurge and have this one snapshot moment of victory in time seems a little strange. Now certainly the goal of any political party is to have a majority hold on federal power so that they can direct policy towards an end that is amenable to their principles. But the problem with political parties is that they tend to have an orthodoxy. They tend to have a certain set of principles, which is of course what we want in a party because we want a party to have an identity, we want a party to have direction. This is useful for people in the electorate, this is useful for people in politics because it helps sort political discourse. And by this I mean it helps us to be able to see some politician on your generic cable news show and to have Republican or Democrat after their name and to know in broad strokes what that person stands for. It means that you don't have to do a great deal of research. Now, of course, when we're making voting decisions, we should, as individuals, do a great deal of research to find out whether candidates align with our principles and whether they're going to be good representatives for our interests when they get into Congress. But you need to be able to ground yourself in the national political debate without having to be a policy expert on all sorts of matters and being an expert on where certain ideologies align in terms of policy prescriptions. The idea of political parties is that they help sort the electorate, they help sort representatives so that the average everyday American is able to just say, these are my interests, I go to work, I come home to my family, I care about how policy affects the industry I work in, I care about the ability to put food on the table at the end of the day. How does that align with Republicans? How does that align with Democrats? And having simple policy platforms helps with that. It creates a shortcut. Now that shortcut does not mean that you don't need to do broader research that only you as an individual can do if you want someone who actually represents your rights, but it does mean that you should be able to, like I said, turn on the television, see representative X from some teeny little district in flyover country that you've probably never heard of and be able to know by their party identification roughly what they think. I want that to net positive for politics and for the ability for most people to be able to live their daily lives and still fundamentally understand how the issues that affect them in the national legislature are unfolding, it also tends to lead to party orthodoxies. And 
An orthodoxy per se isn't an issue because for a party to be based in principle is again a net positive. To have a cohesive identity that is representative of a certain sector in the populace, is representative of a certain ideology or epistemology, that's a net positive for Americans. And for that reason, I don't think that polarization is necessarily the ill that other people might say it is. I think if there are genuine differences in how people think, if there's a genuine difference between myself and my neighbor and the way that we think, that it makes sense to have political parties who represent that, who represent real-world differences and approaches to how things should be run. Now, of course, the key there is I still need to be able to get along with my neighbor and fundamentally respect his rights, even if I don't necessarily agree with the particular direction that his thoughts run in. I still need to respect his right to speech, just like he needs to respect my right to speech, even if we don't respect the content of each other's speeches. But parties tend to develop orthodoxies, and there's a difference here between the philosophical underpinnings of a party platform. So this is the idea that Republicans have a certain set of beliefs and Democrats have a certain core set of beliefs. And that's a good thing and it's necessary because philosophy is upstream of politics, or excuse me, philosophy is downstream of politics, meaning that we have philosophy and then politics comes afterwards. The principles that guide political ends are determined by people's philosophical beliefs. So whether or not you believe uh, paid family leave is a good thing depends on your philosophical beliefs. It depends on what you think is a good end and how government should reach that end. But there's a difference there between those philosophical principles and the way that they're implemented through policy. And you can have big tent parties, which is what we tend to have now. The idea that libertarians, evangelical conservatives, more uh, centrist can all exist in the Republican Party under the broad banner of the Republican Party. The idea that you can have centrist Democrats and progressives and democratic socialists, which isn't really a thing, but Nevertheless, we have people running around claiming to be that, and they can all exist under one party platform. And they all have slightly different takes on what is the same basic belief, but they believe in different ways to implement them. And there are obviously some differences in philosophical beliefs, but in the main, Republicans all agree on the same things. They all fundamentally supposedly agree that localism is the best approach, that the federal government should be limited, and that um, government primarily exists to protect individual rights, and um, 
believe that government uh, needs to have, take a backseat approach to things like the economy, at least traditionally. I don't know that that's the case that we can make now, particularly when you have President Trump in the State of the Union claiming that Congress needs to solve everything from AIDS to securing paid family leave to solving the economy through central planning and price control and tariffs and all that. But that is, at least in terms of political theory, that is the idea. And that's the purpose of party platforms. But if you're going to have big tent parties, if libertarians and conservatives and um, centrist Republicans are all going to exist under one banner, then there needs to be room for disagreement. There needs to be certainly agreement on the same principles. And if there is no longer agreement on the same principles, I think that's when you need to start talking about splitting parties up. But there can be agreement on principles but disagreement on what political poli or excuse me what policy ideas are the best way to implement those principles and orthodoxy doesn't necessarily allow for that. It says that there is one way to do things and that one way will not be challenged and anyone who does challenge it is a threat to the party and is going to be ostracized and shoved to the side and essentially neutralized. This is what happened to Ted Cruz and other members of the Tea Party who I think we can certainly question, especially nowadays, uh, how genuine they were in pursuing their ends, but at the time they claimed to make a legitimate case for reforming the Republican Party, getting back to those first principles of limited government and the protection of individuals, and the Republican leadership said, you are damaging the good of the party and we are going to put you off to the side where you can't do any damage and publicly repudiate you. And that's not a good thing for parties because it undermines those philosophical underpinnings and says that you don't have the freedom to examine the philosophy that underlies us. It essentially makes politics and the implementation of certain policies and the ability to have a monopoly on power, the focus of parties, rather than those philosophical beliefs, rather than the debate that is innate to those philosophical beliefs over whether or not they continue to be correct ones, over what is the best way to implement them through policy. And the reason that orthodoxy in parties is so troubling, I think, is in part because it makes individualism impossible. And there's a certain degree of conformity that needs to be enforced. And parties tend to exert a certain sense of ownership then over not only their members, but their voters and the electorate. You can see this in the way that third party candidates are often treated as spoilers. And particularly, you can see this in the way that Howard Schultz is currently being treated by Democrats and a little bit by Republicans too, because there's the assumption that a third party candidate will split votes. And there's an assumption, particularly among Democrats, that those votes are going to come from their base. And so Democrats will lose if Howard Schultz runs because people who are sympathetic to Democratic policies and to 
given to supporting the Democratic Party will, instead of voting for Democrats, will then vote for Howard Schultz, and Republicans will most likely do this in smaller numbers. Now, I don't necessarily think that's true, but that is the generalized thinking. And what's actually sort of creepy about this is there is a certain sense of ownership and this idea that constituents in the electorate are not in the electorate are not free people and free thinking people who have the right to make their own decisions but rather that they are owned by one party or another and this is particularly creepy when you look at it through the lens of identity politics which drives so much of political science today the idea that if you're a certain race you're given to vote one way or the other if you're a certain gender you're given to vote one way or the other same thing holds true with incomes same thing holds through with gender, same thing holds through with whether you live in a more urban area or whether you live in a more rural area. There are all these different identifiers that are put together to give political parties an idea of who their electorate is. Now, this is useful in a certain extent if we're talking about um, representation and the idea that representatives are supposed to champion your interests. They're supposed to listen to you and to take what you say about your life and the way that you want government to interact with your life, whether it's hands-on or hands-off, and to take that and to spin it into the best way to act politically. And Having a good idea of your electorates can be helpful if, let's say, the farm bill is up for debate, because it recently was. And knowing whether your constituents are largely more rural and live in areas where farming is more prevalent, you're probably going to have a different attitude than if you live in a more urban district where heavy industry is more prevalent and where it affects the lives of your constituents more. So you're probably going to have a natural predilection one way or the other, depending on what your constituency is. Now, where identity politics becomes a problem is when it becomes deterministic. When someone points to you and says, oh, well, you're young and white and female, then you're probably going to vote liberal. And that becomes even more of a problem if you don't behave in a way that the statistics say you are. So if the statistics say you're young, white, female, you're most likely going to be liberal, but you didn't vote liberal, well, why not? If your personal choices are then looked to deviate from a pattern, and if there's a perception that there's something wrong with that, and that you need to be brought back into line and to toe the orthodoxy, toe the party doctrine, that's intensely creepy because it is a form where parties think they own you. And it also really truncates the um, the view of individuals as free-thinking peoples and instead reduces them down to certain identifying qualities and makes these deterministic of how people behave, how people think, how people act, and how they they vote. And, and then that is developed further with the idea that political parties own certain constituencies. And if you deviate from that constituency and behave in a different way, 
that somehow you've betrayed someone, somehow you've betrayed party leadership, and you need a lecturing because now you are jeopardizing the party, you're jeopardizing their hold on power, and that means that they're not going to be able to legislate in a way that is amenable to your interests. So you're you're not only harming your own interests, but harming the interests of others around you too. And that is, I think, a deeply troubling and deeply disturbing view of representative politics. And yet we can see it, and we see it particularly in the way that third party candidates are treated. And whilst I'm generally for third party candidates, because I think the more diversity you have, the more pluralism you have, the better, because you have a more competitive field. You have more voices vying. And the more voices who are vying and making disparate arguments about policy and the role of government, the greater the chances are that you're having an argument on the merits and you're not just engaging in tribalistic pandering as we've seen in the last couple of elections. But third party candidates are not meritorious on their own. I mean, look at the way that Bill Well has behaved. I think he is utterly intellectually dishonest, utterly without rudder, and utterly self-serving. He ran as a libertarian last time as the VP for Gary Johnson. Now he's a Republican, now he's trying to back away from his previous stances, which weren't necessarily libertarian in that he supported a role of the state that was more active than I think is compatible with libertarian uh, ideology, but is now attempting to back away from those because they're no longer politically advantageous to them. The role of third parties in America, if they are going to truly benefit individuals in the electorate and truly represent pluralism and help individuals have more choices, needs to come from people who are truly principled and people who reject party because they tend to promote an orthodoxy that benefits the party structure and benefits um, the party's ability to have a hold on power rather than is more focused on being representative of people in the electorate and people who are truly diverse. So third party candidates need to be true ideologues in a way that party politics and the promotion of orthodoxy tends to make impossible. But then we have this question of orthodoxy that still remains. And as someone who is very individualistic and sees politics through this lens of the need to protect individual rights. This is, I believe, the first charge of government. The idea of having orthodoxy is troubling to me, and this is something I think that we see within the Libertarian Party, because the assumption is if you're an individualist, then your sympathies these days are going to lie with Libertarians, and I think that is probably true. But if Libertarianism is going to be appealing to individualists, the idea that we need to have an organized party that has a cohesive platform and is going to be a powerful national force is, is something that I'm not sure really makes sense. Because as I said, orthodoxy and party is in conflict with the idea that parties are useful when they help to sort the electorate. The idea that they provide 
a little cheat sheet for voters. And this doesn't necessarily represent the broader party platform, the philosophy that is supposed to underlie politics, the philosophy that makes orthodoxy less compatible with party politics and with representation. And so to suggest that libertarians, if they're going to be a national political force, this is obviously going to require having a standardized platform, having a, um, a, a more centralized view of what libertarian policy is, because this is simply part of what it means to be a party, is to have a central set of beliefs. And those sets of beliefs, obviously, then need to translate into policy in some regard. And for libertarians, I don't even think we necessarily have to have a similar set of beliefs, unlike other parties do, because it is a party that is actually about philosophy and not primarily about politics. Because at least to me, libertarianism is about individualism. It is protecting the individual right to conscience, the individual ability to think for yourself, to seek, define, and pursue your own good, separate from any entity that is external to yourself. And that means being able to define your good free of, say, state and local entities who believe in communal standards of good and who, who want to uphold a certain moral climate in a community and to legislate around that. And to me, libertarianism is absent that kind of paternalistic oversight, absent that kind of moral overtones. To me, libertarianism means supporting ideas that you don't even necessarily agree with on the principle that individuals are sovereign and should be free to make decisions for themselves, even if it's deleterious to their own health, so long as no one else's rights are being infringed. Or if someone else's rights are in question, that other actor has volitionally agreed to some arrangement, fully knowing that they're putting themselves in jeopardy. And one of the... Um, let me give you an example. So what I mean when I'm talking about this is, um, let's say, uh, marijuana legalization. The idea that, first of all, the federal government shouldn't ban marijuana because they don't have the requisite constitutional authority. It's not in the separated powers. But whether or not states should do it is, of course, a question of... of um, of residents of states coming together and it is a federalistic issue and so you're going to get 50 different answers because the different state constitutions all have their own ways of doing things and different limitations on power. Again though, I do think that drugs should be legalized simply because it's a matter of personal choice. You're not harming anyone by choosing to put something in your body that alters your brain chemistry. Do I personally think that doing drugs is a good idea? No, personally I don't think so. But I don't wish to implement my ideas over someone else's life and so I think individuals should be free to pursue their own ends, should be free to deter make determinations in their own lives as to what constitutes their own good. 
and whether for good or ill should be free to do that. And I don't think that's my own personal morality, my own philosophy is a moral command over anyone. Even though I believe in absolute morality, I believe that I am absolutely right because of course, why would you believe in anything if that's not the case? But if that is the mindset that is at the heart of libertarianism, it means that libertarianism can be in fundamental conflict, not only at a political level, and so there is, I think, to some degree, ways in which political parties can have that fundamental conflict, because even if they agree on philosophical underpinnings, again, policy differences are about what is the best way to implement those philosophical ideas and bring about good. But for libertarians, it's not even a question of philosophical agreement. It is a question of individual sovereignty as the one and only abiding principle of the libertarian epistemology. And what that means is determined individually. And so long as no one else's rights are being infringed, then it is illegitimate for someone else to come in and say, well, that's right thinking, that's wrong thinking. And if that is going to be the basis of your party, then you can't have an orthodoxy. You can't have a policy platform. The only essentially policy platform you can have is deregulation and get the government out of people's lives. And again, you're going to disagree over ways to do that. But there is currently orthodoxy in the Libertarian Party. There is um, thinking about foreign policy, there is thinking about um, drugs, there is thinking about abortion, there is thinking about a number of issues where if you don't toe the party line, then you're suddenly not a real capital R, Libertarian capital L. And to think in those terms is problematic, and yet you do to a certain degree have to think in those terms if you want to be a national political force. And this is also, I think, part of the problem with our current political climate in that when we talk about being influential in politics, there is this natural assumption that it means that you're going to affect change on the federal level. You are going to be a force in national politics. And this is particularly true as um, politics is largely social ideas now too, and again, we can see this even in the State of the Union and even in the things that the Republican Party is now advocating, even though the Republican Party is supposedly the party of limited government and the party of individual rights. This is clearly no longer the case, and you just need to look at Trump's State of the Union and again, his call for market controls and price controls on drugs, his call for paid family leave, his calls for um, tariffs and central planning of the economy, his call for Congress to solve diseases like AIDS rather than allow market research to do it. Um, but the idea that all of this must be solved at the federal level is inherently false to American politics. It's certainly the climate in which we find ourselves and to some degree it's one of those questions of can you affect change from the outside or do you need to get to the inside and then and that affect change. 
but certainly to some degree I think maybe libertarians aren't quite so much to blame for thinking in these terms because everything is not in federal terms now and there is quite literally no problem which seems to be on the purview of the federal government. With that being said, I'm not sure that the solution to that is to continue to to promote those terms because by doing so gives it legitimacy. And what I mean by that is I'm not sure that it libertarians should say, well, everything is national now, everything is federal politics, so in order to rein that in, we need to get in at the federal level, gain influence, and then uh, walk things back, because the Republican Party has promised time and time again to do that, and yet they haven't. They have, for the past decade at least, said, well, just let us get power, and then we will start implementing conservative policies, and of course they haven't done that, and of course now we have a president who is advocating for central economic planning and price controls, who is supposed to be Republican. Um, if that is the strategy that libertarians are going to take, they are going to need an orthodoxy because people, if they're going to vote libertarian as a national political force, are going to need to know what the party stands for, what it stands for in terms not only of ideas, but in terms of policies. And the danger of that with national politics is it ends up being bound in the candidate who then becomes the president. And that president then becomes the de facto head of the party. And so you have this degree of tokenism in the in the president who is is gains this symbolic role as well as this functional political role, and whose particular ideas then become the Republican orthodoxy or become the Democratic orthodoxy or presumably would become the Libertarian orthodoxy. And if that's the case, then that alters the party platform, which affects how the people who are coming up in the ranks and who want to become uh, members of the party in Congress and how they can behave. And so it all becomes very bound up in personality and again becomes less about ideas and more about orthodoxy and orthodoxy that is particularly an extension of one person's views. And again, we're getting rid of philosophy, we're getting rid of the ability to freely debate different ideas and whether they should be the foundation of the party and then how they should best be implemented. And so the emphasis really needs to be taken off of national politics, I think, and needs to be more about local control, needs to be more about getting people into the states more, and not just about politics in the formal sense in terms of legislatures, but more of the Jeffersonian model of democracy. And now I'm not talking about formal politics here because America is not a democracy. I have been very clear about that and it drives me insane when people say that. But democracy in terms of the private sector and meaning that the individual is his own representative. And that is true not just in formal politics, but that is even true when you go down to the grocery store and make whatever purchases you, you decide that you need because 
anytime you interact with someone, be it economically, be it in terms of interpersonal relations, you are representing yourself in the interactions that you that you pursue and the ends that you choose. You're making a statement about the things that you value and about your character. Whether it's when you go to the grocery store and you choose to um, purchase certain brands because you philosophically agree with the founders of the company, whether it's seeking out certain friends because you like their um, you like their character, you like how they think, and you want to be around that sort of thinking more, whether it is going to civic organizations, whether it's going to a painting group in your spare time, whether it's volunteering your time with the local food pantry because you think that does good work in the community. That is all an example of you being your own representative and advancing the things that you believe in through your actions. And by doing so, that creates a tangible representation of the philosophic values that you believe in the world. And that is what gets passed forward through action. And I think that that needs to be thought of as political in a sense. Obviously, again, we're not talking about formal power here, but the idea that you are always representing yourself and the choices that you make are always influential to your values, to the quality of your life, expanding that definition of the political and what it means so that politics is not just about governing in terms of formal power structures, but in self-governing how you act in life, how you present yourself in life. That, I think, is something that needs to be returned to our political culture, to our political um, ethos. And the idea that you are your own representative and that representation is always active. And that gives to individuals a degree of agency that is missing from our hyper-nationalized politics. And this idea, particularly not only that politics is hyper-nationalized, but that it is to be found particularly in the discourse between political parties who have as their head either the presidency or the speaker of the house or the um, senate majority leader depending on who's in power and that that is the authority of the party take your agency into your home own hands become authoritative of your own philosophy and look to different ways outside of the formal power structure that you can affect change in your own life. I think that is where libertarians need to go and I don't mean to suggest that all libertarians are um, very much concerned with the libertarian party and formal orthodoxy because there are there are movements like the free state project in new hampshire and others all over the country where there are communities of people who have come together in order to do this in order to live in a culture that is more reflective of their principles and have seized agency for themselves but i do think that needs to spread and for that reason i don't think that libertarians should be focused on becoming a national political force 
in terms of the formal power structure, in terms of winning elections, particularly on the national level, instead become a national political force outside the bounds of formal power. Let's focus more on our individual lives, because that, of course, is what libertarian is supposed to be about. And if that emphasis is then on individuals and the choices they make, it means that the party can become stronger and the party can become stronger without an orthodoxy, which means that that fundamental tenet of self-sovereignty and self-determinism is still there, is still legitimate. And I think if libertarians are to become a national political force, it risks really bastardizing the party because it's simply not going to be possible to allow for that degree of self-control and self-determination to exist if libertarianism is going to become a national political force and is going to become a political party that has influence.